You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Dairy Gold Agribusiness. Hello, my name is George Ramsbottom and I am the president of the Agricultural Science Association. In this episode of Experts in Their Field, we're joined by former council member Roberta MacDonald of Devonish, who interviews Anne Derman a Dublin-born vet who talks about her early career working as a vet in private practice, working with various departments, and finally her more recent appointment as Ireland's next ambassador to China. We wish Anne and her family every success for the future. Thank you for joining us. My name is Roberta MacDonald. I have been an ASA um, council member and a member for a long number of years. I work with Devonish and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Ambassador Anne Derwin today. Um, hi Anne, how are you? Hi Roberta, hi, <laughs> lovely to join you. <laughs> and, uh, Anne has represent, is, is representing Ireland in China since 2020 and Anne, I'll let you tell us a bit more about that role. But just as a bit of background, um, for a number of years, Anne has worked in the Department of Foreign Affairs and has previously been Chief Economist and Assistant Secretary in the Department um, of Agriculture. Um, Anne, and I think this is really interesting, your background is as a trained vet from UCD. Um, so we'll be definitely interested in hearing more about that experience you've had um, in terms of veterinary, the agricultural industry, um, and I suppose your current role now. But I suppose just on a, at a personal level, Anne is, and, and for me, always has been a strong advocate for women and the agri-food sector. Um, as I was going to say a Sligo, but maybe a Dublin woman, uh, Anne, mm-hmm. um, with such a distinguished career and such a positive outlook. I'm, I really appreciate that you've joined us today and I'm, I'm looking forward to the discussion. I'm delighted, Roberta. Thanks very much for inviting me. Great. Well, Anne, look, I suppose, first of all, how are you doing and, and how are things in Beijing at the moment? Great. Well, yeah, I'm here in Beijing since last January. So I just started actually this year in January, just after Christmas. Um, and it's great. It's been, you know, a, a really exciting opportunity for me. Um, and I'm just loving it. I have a great team here. Um, we're very busy. We have a big team in the embassy. We have the visa office here in Beijing as well. And we have two consulates, one in Shanghai and one in Hong Kong. Um, so there's a, a very large team here representing Ireland. And as well as that, we've got our colleagues in Team Ireland. So the four agencies. So we've got Board BIA, um, Enterprise Ireland, IDA and Tourism Ireland. So it's a real privilege to be out here and working with such a great team. And, um, you know, we do everything we can, I suppose, to raise the profile of Ireland. Um, and especially this year, I suppose, with COVID and we're not getting visitors, um, we can't have any ministerial visits. It's been, um, you know, it's been a real opportunity for us to do what we can to travel, to try and showcase Ireland at different trade fairs. So that's what we've been concentrating on, Uh, kept busy doing a lot of travel and uh, it's just been wonderful, a really fascinating country and it's a challenging role, but um, it's it's I just love it. It's really diverse. It's um, it's a great opportunity to work with different people. Yeah, really enjoying it. Good, good. And and I suppose, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, why did this role appeal to you and, and what are your hopes for this role in the future? Okay, well, I suppose the role, um, well, like, as you said, I spent most of my career in agriculture, 25 years, and um, I really enjoyed working in the Department of Agriculture. And as part of that role, I was working um, at one stage as the chief economist. So we were working on agriculture strategy, food harvest, and then food rise. 
Um, and it seems like a long time ago now, but back then, a decade ago, I suppose we were looking at China and thinking about the opportunity to grow um, exports of agri-food produce into China. So um, I had previously served also in the Department of Foreign Affairs. I was the agricultural attache, the first one back in, um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember what year it was now, I think it was 98. Um, yeah, it was. It was before um, Agenda 2000. So I went out to Madrid as the agricultural attaché. So I had previously worked in foreign affairs and I had a good idea what the job was about and what the role was like. Um, so four years ago, I moved back from agriculture into foreign affairs um, on the management board and I kind of had a big corporate role. I was running the passport service and the consular service. And as well as that, I was responsible for the diaspora, the Irish abroad all around the world. So it really gave me a taste, I suppose, for, you know, travel to different parts of the world. And I'd been to Asia a couple of times, but China's just such an extraordinary country. It's a huge country. It's like a, a continent, you know, and it's very diverse. And I knew that there were market opportunities. So it kind of tied in with some of the work that I had done before. Um, it's kind of interesting. I never thought 10 years ago that I'd end up in China. But um, I suppose that's partly what attracted me. And then just the opportunity to, to represent your country abroad. I think especially in Asia, um, I had been working with the diaspora and I suppose, you know, the Irish tended to emigrate to English speaking countries. So we've plenty of Irish and we're well known um, in America and Canada and Australia, New Zealand, of course, the UK. Um, but here in Asia, perhaps less well known. So I suppose it's an opportunity just to try and raise the profile of Ireland and to build not just, I suppose, trade exchange, but also people to people linkages um, and to share our culture. Uh, so that's been that's been a wonderful opportunity. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I suppose from such a diverse career and, and background, could you talk us through what were maybe some of those milestone moments that brought you to this point? Um, you know, you've had you have quite a vast experience. If you could talk us through how it's brought you to where you are today. Yeah, well, I suppose I started off working as a vet in practice, as you said, I qualified in 1986 from UCD and I worked in um, initially in Wales and then up in Yorkshire and then came back to Ireland and worked in Donegal and Longford. And I set up my own practice in Sligo. So I suppose that gives you um, a lot of, I suppose, just, um, I suppose, the experience of, of talking to clients and meeting people and working out in farms. Um, that was really fantastic. I mean, I grew up in Dublin. So as a, as a dub, going out and getting the opportunity to, to work in rural Ireland and, and meet people out in farms was fantastic. So um, I joined the Department of Agriculture. I had three children, um, a set of twins, and uh, my eldest was just two-year-old when they were born. So I was running my own practice, and obviously it was quite difficult to, you know, cover the cost of childcare as well as um, as everything else in, in business. So an opportunity came up to work in the Department of Agriculture, and I took it. That was back in, I think it was 92. Um, and I never really looked back. I worked in a number of different roles. I started up in... Um, a meat plant in Donegal, AIBP meats up in Carrigans, and then I worked um, in the veterinary office in Rafaux. Um, and again, you know, that was just a really, really interesting experience. And from there, um, I had randomly, I had studied Spanish for the Leaving Cert, and when the department decided to open, um, uh, well, to, to create a role in the embassy in Madrid for an agricultural attaché, I applied and probably was one of the few Spanish speakers in the department, so I got it. And the whole family had four kids at that stage under 10. So we all went out to Madrid 
So I suppose that was key because a lot of the experience that I had there, um, I suppose, you know, learning a language, working um, with the foreign government and, you know, the trade out there. At the time, there was a lot of trade with, with Spain um, and, you know, we were growing our exports, a lot of live animals as well as um, beef and, you know, dairy products. So it was a very, very interesting opportunity and I really enjoyed working in foreign affairs. And at that stage, I started studying agricultural economics and that was really a chance. It was I met um, some economists working in the Spanish Ministry for Agriculture, and they encouraged me to go along to their conferences. And I just kind of became interested in it. So I did a master's then in um, Imperial College um, in London. I did that as a distance education course. And when I came back to Ireland then, um, it was a number of years later. I continued to work as a vet, but a number of years later, the opportunity to work as the chief economist um, arose. And I applied for it and got it. And I suppose that was a, a defining point in my career because I moved from working in the veterinary field, animal health, across to working um, on, I suppose, everything from the agri-taxation review to, as I said, uh, food harvest um, and food-wise. So a lot of it was policy work. Um, it was really, really interesting. I had a fabulous team working there. And, you know, you were advising the minister on, on budgetary policy as well. So it was just a really, really interesting opportunity. And I suppose... Um, eventually then I was promoted I was on the management board in the Department of Agriculture as the head of corporate so again that gave me um, a lot of experience running a large department you know because you're kind of the chief operations officer you're doing HR and finance Um, so it was a very very busy role and you know really interesting as well and I suppose I saw parts of the department I'd never worked in before um, again, like working with the team in headquarters, but I think I visited all our offices around the country. So it's a huge department, a very diverse, a great department to work in. Um, brilliant, brilliant friends there. It's a very collegial department um, and a great place to work. And then, as I said, the, the opportunity to cross over came about four years ago when a, an opportunity came to work in the Department of Foreign Affairs. And they were looking for someone who had an economics background, which I had, and someone who had a second language, which I had from working in Spain. And then someone with a big corporate experience. And again, having you know held the corporate role in agriculture, that kind of stood to me. So um, I came across to Foreign Affairs and the role I had was very, very interesting. I suppose I, I travelled to parts of the world I'd never been to and met Irish communities. It was a real privilege to meet um, the Irish abroad, you know, and to work closely with the minister um, in terms of trying to build our diaspora policy. So all of that kind of led me to my current role. It's kind of, it's very diverse. It's, I suppose I followed um, probably my interests more than anything else. I never had a, a plan as to where I'd go next. But yes. I think um, somebody said to me once, you know, it's like navigating a labyrinth. You know, you, you don't necessarily in an organization just because it's hierarchical, you don't necessarily just go upwards. You know, it's often more interesting to go sideways. So I think that's kind of what I did. I zigzagged a bit and... I was open to opportunities when they came up um, and I've always liked learning. I, I kind of believe in lifelong learning. I think I encourage people to think about, you know, just redefining themselves, changing. I think when you learn something, it kind of keeps you fresh. It's, uh, it's, I've always found it very interesting. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I want to come back to that point because for me, that's been a really important part of, I suppose, you know, I suppose your, your role in, um, providing that leadership and and within the agri-food sector of, of being open to opportunities so I, I'd love to come back to that yeah. and you know it's it's amazing how that experience in agriculture in veterinary practice has you know brought brought you to that point and 
you know, for, for those listening that maybe are study, studying agriculture or early career graduates, you know, it just demonstrates the broad breadth of, of potential there is in a career in this space and beyond. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd love to, you know, maybe dive into a little bit more of what you felt are maybe unique skills and experience that, that the agri-food sector has provided you know, to be able to to take on these opportunities and, and the opportunity you have at the moment? Yeah, well, I, I think the agri-food sector is an amazing sector to work in, you know. So you get, um, I suppose, a real diverse opportunity to, to meet with people from all different walks of life. Um, so for me, I suppose I was always interested in agribusiness. I was particularly interested in entrepreneurs. And you mentioned earlier, you know, women entrepreneurs, so I suppose one of the things I enjoyed most in my career was trying to trying to create opportunities for women entrepreneurs and, you know, setting up acorns was something that I really, really enjoyed. I mean, I, you know, I, I saw the opportunity for the department to sponsor um, a woman's entrepreneurial program and we, we pushed a tender and Paula Fitzsimons, um, who's just an incredible woman, came along and designed acorns. And I think it's its sixth year this year or so, you know, working with many women from many different walks of life, but basically they're all entrepreneurs working in rural areas. And what they do is they, they mentor, you know, they have a, a successful mentor and coach. But part of that kind of showed me that, you know, people can can start businesses, you know, in all sorts of places and, you know, very, very diverse businesses, some related to agriculture, some not. I'm always passionate about um, women in agriculture because I suppose I feel that their skills aren't always recognised and that um, in particular, you know, the system of, I suppose, inheritance in Ireland of land means that women often don't own uh, land um, because it, it tends to pass to the elder son. So one of the difficulties for them, I suppose, is um, collateral, that it's often difficult to get loans. And that was something that kind of interests me as well. And that was part of the reason I studied economics to try and kind of understand, well, you know, what are the constraints? What are the barriers to, to people, you know, setting up in business and maybe not necessarily leaving farming, but setting up on the farm, you know, developing new, um, I suppose, diverse um, income generating opportunities on farms. So that was something that I was always very interested in. And I really enjoyed kind of the application of, of economics. So the idea that, you know, it's about people really at the heart of it. It's, it's people think it's about numbers, but it's really about people and opportunity and, you know, who gets to do what, who has access to resources. Um, the other thing I really liked was the international work. So I worked um, in Spain for six years, but I also worked in Rome as part of UN organizations. And during the Irish presidency, I chaired... Um, you know, our, our committee on FAO on um, agricultural development internationally. And I just found that really fascinating as well. It was it was brilliant. And it's something that I've kind of been passionate about ever since. Um, so I think, you know, the whole area of sustainable agriculture um, is something that, you know, I suppose that the latest um, AgriVision 2030 strategy has really taken forward with the food systems approach. But, you know, even, even back food harvest, we were talking about green agriculture, we were trying to build, I suppose, the... The, the need for more sustainable agriculture. And then Bordbia's Origin Green program was absolutely fascinating as well. And, you know, to be part of the kind of the start, the thinking around that at the start, um, where they brought in Harvard and they, you know, they they did a lot of work brainstorming and trying to think what would define and set Irish agriculture apart. Mm. So it's a fascinating area to work in. I think agriculture offers you policy experience, but it also offers you, you know, fantastic practical opportunities and I think if you're innovative and you've got ideas there's there's many opportunities to take those forward 
So I've always found it a, a, a really, really interesting department to work in and a really interesting area of work. And I'd say to young graduates, you know, there's there's so many different opportunities. There's some really amazing new um, agri-food, agri-tech companies. Um, you know, the whole area of sustainability is, is really growing. And I think that's something that, you know, in the future, we're going to see you move towards precision agriculture, um, you know, better use of resources. And yeah, I suppose just the whole area of um, genetics and improved breeding programs and animal health. So it's just a, it's a fascinating um, area to be, be qualifying in and graduating in at the moment. And I think, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a career that can take you anywhere. And I just think, you know, my advice to anyone would be to be open to opportunity. Um, I suppose to recognize opportunities and, and sometimes, you know, to take a bit of a risk. I, I think, you know, it's, the, it's what you don't do that you regret. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's a great attitude, yeah. And and I think, you know, even in, in these times of COVID and over the last 18 months, we see how science has really come to the fore. And and I suppose, you know, there is a, a, a real challenge uh, to the agri-food sector, but in that, a lot of opportunity as well. And, you know, I suppose you have a unique, I suppose, viewpoint where you have experience in the Irish agri-food sector and, and you're getting a view globally of what's happening as well. And, you know, what what are your hopes for the future of, of the agri-food sector, maybe in an Irish context and, and your experience there as well as globally and how you see it impacting, um, you know, places like Asia or, 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 or further afield? Okay, well, I think, um, you know, that the, the way forward has to be, um, you know, a food systems approach, which is sort of socially and environmentally sustainable. Um, and I think, you know, it's about adding value really for um, for those working in agriculture. And I suppose for primary producers, it's about um, seeking value added. So that's something that, you know, there's many, many opportunities, obviously, globally. It's a matter of kind of adding value to, to your produce and to try and, I suppose, set it apart in some way brand it in a way that um that is unique and that adds value one of the key things i've seen out here um there's been a recent agreement on uh, gi's geographically indicated produce and um there's a lot of new brands appearing here in china so in ireland um you know the whiskey industry in particular you know there's been so many new distilleries opened and um we're seeing a lot of new irish whiskies and cream liqueurs here uh, and the Chinese market. And I think, um, you know, the the uh, the geographical indication system is a great way to add value to produce. So I would have seen that in Spain working with, you know, the Spanish where they have a huge range of, of um, produce, you know, starting with wines, but, but everything cheeses the whole lot. And I think, you know, that's one interesting way you can add value. So we've been very successful um, over the past few years in, in exporting um, Irish whiskey. And I think it's the fastest growing whiskey in the world, fastest growing spirit in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you look to somewhere like Scotland, you see that for every job in the in the whiskey distillery industry, there's another four jobs in tourism. So I think, you know, there are opportunities then in, in, in selling a product um, to actually link it back to the geographical region and to tell people more about the country that it comes from and, you know, to promote maybe agritourism as well. So I think um, the, the future of agriculture has to focus on those value-added opportunities. And again, just the, the, the idea of combining, I suppose, what is a natural product, but also with, um, you know, technology and science and, you know, the, the whole opportunities around precision agriculture and, you know, improved, as I said, genetics and breeding programs and animal health. 
um, they are going to reduce costs and improve efficiencies. So I think, um, you know, they're really the way forward. And you've seen a lot of that here in China as well. You've seen a lot of um, interest in um, environmentally sustainable agriculture, but also in um, kind of smart um, precision agriculture. The other area that I think, you know, here in China, they're doing an awful lot of work on um, rural vitalization. They've been um, eliminating poverty in rural areas. And a lot of that is kind of back to what I said about, you know, promoting entrepreneurship in rural areas. But also um, they're looking at degraded environments and and trying to, you know, work on those and to, to restore them. And there's been a lot of work done in the run up now to the COP15, the, the UN Conference on Biodiversity which actually takes place next week here in Kuming in Yunnan province. And I'd been down there earlier, about early summer, and seen some of the work they were doing on, you know, formerly degraded landscapes that that really weren't agriculture, you know, had, was was not possible anymore. And they've made great strides and also in, in agritourism. So I think, you know, there's a lot of inspiration from that. And I think there's things that we can learn, well, the world can learn in terms of um, rural revitalization. But I'd hope that post-pandemic, um, people will be interested maybe in, in holidaying. You know, this kind of, I suppose, people are worried about going into crowded spaces and a natural outdoor environment. I think there's big opportunities for agritourism. So I think protecting biodiversity and improving environments, um, you know, is, is key to that. And it can certainly bring a new dynamic to rural areas. I've seen it in Sligo where, I, you know, I lived for many years and, and you know, my home is still in Sligo. And, you know, you can really see the... Um, the benefits that increased tourism can bring to rural areas so i think that's something that that hopefully we can promote as well great and it and it really touches on i suppose another piece which is from what you've seen and and i suppose the challenges different types of challenges that are facing other countries is what can we learn here in ireland you know in terms of how other countries perceive us um or even you know innovative opportunities or projects like that that you know maybe we need to consider doing things a little bit differently. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we, we need to think about adding value to produce, you know, and what we can do. I mean, you know, you see some of the um, the innovation centres, like I, I was down at the Kerry uh, Centre here in Shanghai um, just last week, but previously I'd been down to NACE. And I mean, when you see what they can do, you know, to take an, a concept um, you know, a product that's going to market in whatever geographical region um, and look at, I suppose, the trends in those markets and then to really consider, you know, what, what is the best product, what um, will best meet the consumer needs and the trends that are emerging. So sustainability is there, but there's also huge opportunities around, um, I suppose, just, you know, catering to all the different life stages. So Ireland's been very successful um, in terms of infant formula, but you know, I think the move now is more to life stage nutrition. And I think older people, um, you know, there's there's risks around sarcopenia and muscle wastage. Um, so supplements are very important, high protein supplements and preventing that. There's opportunities around sports nutrition. And again, Ireland has done very well in that space. So I think the idea of kind of targeted nutrition to specific needs um, is something that, you know, will increasingly be important. So it's it's uh, kind of defining your product and, and identifying perhaps niche opportunities. You know, at the end of the day, China is such a vast country that, you know, supplying the market here isn't isn't going to be possible, the whole market. So you have to kind of decide, well, what, what area or what are the opportunities for Ireland in that space? 
and I think we've done very well. We have, you know, many, many very successful uh, companies in Ireland. So it's really a question of, of thinking through, well, what are the opportunities in the future? And some of those, if you think about the other areas where, you know, we have capacity, like pharmaceuticals or med tech, um, there is opportunities in the space, you know, uh, between pharma and nutraceuticals. So they're, they're value added products that, you know, they're fulfilling a, a health need. Um, and, and certainly in terms of the, the opportunities to grow and develop those are, are enormous. Um, again, looking at, you know, aging populations and metabolic diseases, supplements for, for people with diabetes would be one example. But, you know, there's, there's thousands of examples. But I think that's just a, an, an area that Ireland could look to in the future as well, because I think Board B describe it as adding life to years, you know, keeping people healthy and keeping people physically active. And, you know, healthy nutrition is part of that. So they're just some of the opportunities. But, you know, to be honest with you, I think, um, you know, it's just such an exciting time to be working in agriculture. And there's there's so many opportunities. It's uh, it's it's really a very, very exciting time and a great, um, great area to be working in. Yeah. And it, and it just shows the breadth of potential, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're somebody who's, you know, who, who's looking at, at setting up a new business, what the potential is there, or you're working with a company that has potential. Um, you know, these are such interesting areas and, and really exciting. So, you know, coming out of college now, you know, there's so many different ways to, to engage with the industry in, you know, from right through the, throughout the supply chain. Um, Absolutely. And I suppose it, it comes back to that point that you've made on at, the, at the start about this this concept of being open to opportunity. And why I'd like to kind of focus in on it is I feel it's such a refreshing approach. And why I say that is, you know, you often hear and maybe at an early stage career, what's your five year plan? What's your 10 year plan? Where do you want to be? And <laughs> yes, that is, you know, that that is good to have a plan and a focus, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's what some people prefer. But you have a very unique view on things. Could you talk us through, I suppose, about your own approach and and delve into that piece a bit more? Um, on, yeah, on that? I, I think, you know, I, I would encourage people to keep a very open mind. I think having a plan is fine. I mean, you know, you know, having something to aim for is, is fine. But when people ask me that in my early career, like I would no way would I ever have imagined I could end up here in this role. So, you know, it's really, it's not so much about having a plan as I think being open to opportunity and then following your interests. So for me, um, sometimes I think people, you know, rule out opportunities. Well, they just don't see the opportunities because they're so focused on getting to the next stage or whatever it is, you know, whatever they have in their five-year plan. And sometimes I think if you relax a bit and just kind of, you know, do what you enjoy doing and and I suppose follow your instinct there and that, you know, whatever you enjoy doing and gives you a buzz, that's that's where you're happy. And like I said, I think, you know, continuing to develop, continuing to learn, continuing to look outward, um, you know, you can you can narrow your own horizons very easily by becoming too focused on, you know, the next promotion or whatever it is in the organization that you're in. Um, the other thing, too, I think, is that, you know, Sometimes people don't take risk and the the reason they don't take risk is partly to do with self-confidence, but it's also sometimes because people feel they're not prepared, you know, they don't have the preparation of the experience and they'll tell you, well, you know, if only that had come up in another two years when I was more prepared. And the way I think about things is like preparedness is kind of a state of mind, you know, it's an attitude and 
there's people who say you've always got to be the most prepared person in the room or you've always got to you know if you don't prepare you prepare to fail or whatever I really don't like that approach I think of course you prepare but you know within reason you can't always be the best prepared person in the room and you've got to trust your team and the other people that are there as well you know so like I think sometimes people feel so much pressure to always be prepared and always know everything and to to take learning to the nth degree and to be honest with you that can actually be something that becomes um very negative because you know you won't take on anything else till you're 100 percent sure that you're on top of what you're doing at the moment and then it's kind of self-perpetuating the next role you know you won't look beyond it until you're absolutely 100 percent sure that you know everything about that role so you know, I, I kind of think people need to kind of sometimes just stand back a bit and say, look, you know, is this mindset helping me or, or am I better off just to say, you know, I build my competence, I build my knowledge, but I, I remain interested and, and I see possibilities. And, you know, being prepared, sometimes, you know, a lack of self-confidence can hold you back. Um, and, but sometimes a lack of self-confidence can actually be an enabler because people work hard as well when they, you know, when they don't feel that they're they're super confident, you know, it can, and for me, you know, earlier on in my career, certainly, I think a lack of self-confidence was something that perhaps was an enabler. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes you have to look at things slightly differently. But but for me, um, preparedness and being able to do something is something that you know it really is an attitude or a state of mind and it you know sometimes you've got to say well why not me yeah you know it's yeah it's it's and I think if you do take the chance and you do you know if you do try and 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 leave yourself open to opportunity it's quite exciting it can take you in many different directions that you never imagined and so I think looking back, my career might seem to make sense, but at the time it probably didn't, you know, and it honestly wouldn't have been on my radar to ever think I'd be an ambassador anywhere, let alone here in China. So things kind of fall into place with time, but, you know, everyone has their own career path and that's the nice thing about it. You know, you don't have to follow just because somebody else did, did this. And I I think, you know, I'd look to role models who've, who've had unusual careers. I think, you know, I like seeing people who maybe have worked in different disciplines and I've always believed a kind of a multidisciplinary role or approach is the best. So I like having teams. When I worked as the chief economist, I had people that had very different, very different backgrounds, very different experience, but it was a really exciting uh, team to work with because they all brought, you know, fresh ideas and, and uh, obviously different skills. And I think I've taken that with me. So I like working with teams here in China as well, working with very diverse group of people. And, you know, I think, that's actually a very um it's a very healthy environment when you've got people bringing bringing fresh ideas and different ways of working mm, brilliant and i and i think in particular Anne, when we were speaking beforehand you know that that prepare um fail to prepare prepare to fail oh, concept came up and we were talking about in particular these are big big challenges or, or perceptions of maybe more often than not women and particularly young women um but you know even as you're speaking there about that low confidence or trying to help people think outside the box and try different things I think really that does apply to everybody and you know it's it's I suppose bringing it back to you know somebody who might be listening thinking I want to do something different or you know I'm I'm looking at what's possible and thinking I only have one or two options you know so to leave you with it it, with that last yeah. word on what would you advise them and 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 I suppose well, give give them the confidence what would what helped you build that confidence over time well one thing I'd say Roberta that you know sometimes can be difficult for women is they're often time poor and that's why you know this this idea of always having to be 100 percent 
you know, prepared. If you're trying to manage young kids and you're trying to balance a career and a family and, you know, COVID has seen, you know, the, the closure of the creches and closure of schools. There were many women trying to trying to work from home, trying to get up early in the morning before the kids got up and work late in the evening. So what I'd say to you is that there's times in your career when, you know, just just doing your best is good enough. And don't push yourself too hard. Like I had four children, so you have to take time out. I took career breaks. I took, you know, shorter working year. Take time, enjoy your family. And, you know, it's a it's a marathon, I suppose. It's, it's not um, a sprint. And over the course of your career, you'll have times to kind of dip in and out and to do more and to study more. Sometimes when your children are small, it's a good time to study, you know. Um, but I think what I'd say to people is, Try and relax and, and be confident that things will fall into place, but not to feel that, you know, you have to give 110% all the time when you've got other competing demands. Um, and I think, I, I really think that the mindset that you always have to give 100% and, and always be prepared, you know, that can be a bit self-defeating because people end up totally exhausted. So like nobody's superwoman, you have to balance a lot of different um, demands and there's no supermen either, you know, men have the same. I mean, a lot of men are, are very hands on fathers now and that's that's fantastic. So I just think that at different times in your life, you've got to try and get that balance. And in some ways, try and, you know, like it's good to be ambitious, but I think being too ambitious uh, can actually be a bit self-destructing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd really encourage people to to you know enjoy life and to take take enjoy their careers i'm not saying give up on your career but you know to to recognize that there are times when you can give more to your career than other times and that you know if you're still keep an open mind and you're learning and you're you're interested i think you will find opportunities and you know who knows where a career can take you brilliant and that has been really excellent conversation to have and i hope you know there are people who are listening who who find it very helpful i'm sure they are um well, I as so. i think you you are definitely a role model to many people including myself so i just want oh, to say <laughs> thank you very much for your time and we'll hopefully talk to you again in the future at, at asa events as well absolutely roberta a pleasure to talk to you as always and let's keep in touch